I saw a little bit more in Nevada than I have seen before, and I, I have found that Nevada isn't what it is, isn't what meets the eye. There's no doubt about it. What you first see in Nevada, you might just drive on by. But the, the more you open the door to Nevada, the more you see and the more you say, wow, there's something here, isn't there? So, uh, and I keep hearing, I keep hearing all kinds of stuff. And Pastor said, you know, he said when he first got here that there's all kinds of things to do if you go outdoors. And, you know, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, I guess. But the more I hear about it, the more I'm like, good grief, there is. I mean, uh, he, somebody told me there's geysers, and he says he hasn't even seen the geysers yet. And so to me, that's impressive. Um, and you have hot springs, right? I've been to hot springs one time in my life, but that, that's fascinating to me. Um, just all kinds of stuff. Um, we saw some wild horses today and some antelope and maybe some goats. I don't know. If, I don't know. I thought I saw some goats. They were white, okay, and they were way up in the mountains and they looked like goats. So I, I could be wrong. Uh, could have been sheep. I'm good with sheep. Bighorn sheep. Maybe that's what they were because they sure, from about a thousand yards, they look like sheep or goats. Uh, that's enough of that. All right, let's uh, open our Bibles to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Oh, I know what I was going to tell you. That's why I put it in my Bible so I wouldn't forget. Uh, we have prayer cards. If you'd like to grab a prayer card, they look like this. And uh, so you can see our faces and know our names and pray for us. Put it on your fridge. That way you see us a couple times a day. For you men, it'll be more than that. Um, but you'll have that. And uh, they are on the table underneath the bulletin board where you sign up for nursery. If you don't know where that is, it might be a good idea so you can sign up for nursery. And then right next to the nursery sign up is the sign up sheet for, is it uh, the, the goodies? And uh, everybody loves you when you bring goodies. So if you want people to love you, bring goodies. It's true. We are, we are Baptists and we're human. Colossians chapter 1 is where we are. Do you ever have a, a hobby that you really got into? And, and maybe it's, it's usually about the time that you buy the equipment for it. And then all of a sudden your interest in that hobby starts to wane. Or, you know, maybe we've seen it before. Somebody has an old vehicle. They say, I'm going to restore this thing. And it just stays in the garage and it never, ever gets restored. Uh, or, or just something that you got into and you were all about and, and now there's no interest there or there's very lack, a lack of interest. That is a human thing that happens to us, that we can get involved and excited about something and, and, and maybe we can drop it after a while. And, and God knows that and Paul knows that. There are things that we have to be reminded of. That's one of the reasons why we have revival. It's not because we don't know these things. It's because oftentimes we know them and we have let them slide and we need to be stirred up about them. Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that is in thee. Like a fire that's, that's now it's died down, the flames aren't as high, and you stick a stick in there and you start stirring it up and those flames are revived and we need that sometimes. And, and so in Colossians, uh, he is reminding them and stirring up the fact that Christ must be preeminent in our lives. He must be a priority in our lives because oftentimes we get saved and we're all for the Lord, but yet there are things that can come into our lives. And Paul warned Timothy of this, uh, to not be entangled with the affairs of this life. And that can be tempting. It can be tempting to be entangled in the affairs of this life that we're so busy with things that 
when we're dead, they're not going to matter anymore. But rather to be involved in the things that last forever. And when Christ is our everything, when He is our priority, then those things are going to be in our lives. When Christ is our priority, church is a priority. When Christ is our priority, others are a priority. Souls are a priority. Missions is a priority. When Christ is in the right place. And so Paul is reminding the Colossians, and God is reminding us through this, to keep preeminent who ought to be preeminent. Let's start reading in verse number 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, of Colossians chapter 1, and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Verse 14. In whom, Christ, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And he continues speaking about Christ. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Son. Thank You for the gift of Your Son to us. For the sacrifice that He made for us. For the home in heaven that He's promised us. For living His life through us. Help us tonight to see Him for who He is and for what He has done for us. And therefore, in seeing that, understanding what priority He ought to have in our lives. And I pray that if there's an area that we have allowed other things to sit on the throne of our lives that You would show that to us and that we would root that out so that You can take that place again. And I pray, Lord, that whether tonight or some other night this week, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that does not know You as their Savior, that by the end of this evening, by the end of that evening, Lord, that they would come to know You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 14, he says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. What Paul is saying is that Christ ought to be preeminent in our lives. He ought to be a priority in our lives because of His purpose. Why did Jesus come? Well, it says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, in Matthew, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. And he says here, redemption. We don't use that term redemption very often, do we? The best way I know how to explain it and describe it is, is, is a story that kind of happened to me. When I went to college, uh, I drove to college a thousand miles from my door to, to where I went to college, and uh, I went with my sister. So both of us with all of our things in one vehicle. So that didn't leave much room, especially for golf clubs. And so I didn't, I didn't take my golf clubs with me. Now, my grandpa had given me that set of golf clubs. In fact, it was my grandpa that got me into, into golf when I was very young, so much so that he worked at a, at a golf course and he had taken a set of golf clubs and cut them down for my, my size and regripped them and everything and, and taught me how to swing. And then when I got older, he gave me a, a you know, full-size set of clubs, and then he gave me this putter. And this putter, he said, don't ever sell this putter. 
He said, but if you do, he said, it's, it's worth at least a hundred, maybe $200. I don't know. I was, I was impressed with that. But what, what value that putter had to me was more than a, a numeric value. It was a, it was value because my grandpa gave it to me and it was special for that reason. And I, and I liked that putter. So I go off to college and I wasn't able to take my clubs because I didn't have space and I really didn't have time or the money to, to play golf in college. And then, uh, I, then after a while, um, one of my friends did an internship at my home church and, and I think they stayed in, or he stayed in the basement of my parents' house. And so my dad is, was, was taking him golfing and all those kind of things. And in the process of that, my dad's a giver. And uh, so he gave him my putter. Now, it's great if you're a giver, but give your own things, okay? I'm pretty sure it's called stealing if you give other people's things away, even though you're not actually taking them for yourself. And, uh, and so, he, yeah, he gave him that putter. And the thing is, is that friend was really only a golfer because my dad was taking him golfing. It wasn't something that he's like, hey, I like to go golfing. And so I found out about it, and I thought, how in the world am I going to get this thing back? I can't just ask for it. I and mean, that's kind of rude, even though it's mine. Uh, but he sees it as just as much his as I see it as mine. And so uh, how am I going to get that back? I thought the only way for me to get this back is if I buy this putter back. That is redemption. When something that was yours, then it becomes no longer yours, and you buy it back. And how does that affect us? Well, God made us to be His. And in the garden, Adam and Eve were His. There was a relationship there as creator and child of the Creator in that sense. But because of sin, we are separated from God. That's why every person that is born in this world does not naturally have a relationship with God. That is why there is a void in the life because there is a separation from God. And so God from the beginning, and since before the beginning, the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. God's plan all along was to redeem us, to buy us back. Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. He is the one that was the purchase price. That's why He said to be a ransom for many, to be the payment for them. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, the payment for that sin, the redemption. And so He is our redemption, but we continue, and it says in the verse, even the forgiveness of sins not only bought us back, but the things that we have done against God have been forgiven. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 130, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, who shall stand? You think about that. If God had a, had a notebook, and mark down all of our sins every day. Nobody could stand before God. No one could. But the next verse says, But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. God wants to forgive. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because God wants a relationship with us. And that is why He sent His Son. That's why Jesus Christ voluntarily put Himself there, brought Himself here, put Himself on the cross, so that He could redeem us. Uh, notice the verses in verse uh, 19, well, verse 20 and following. And having made peace through the blood of His cross. That's the same thing told us in, in Romans chapter 5, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
because of forgiveness, because of the redemption, we can have peace with God. We can have that relationship. By Him to reconcile all things into Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blamable and unreprovable in His sight. Wow! That God would do all of that for us. Now I want to stop here and say there are some things that I wonder, why do we even need to preach that? John 3.16, for instance. Why does that need to be preached? It should be simply quoted and people would want to be saved in my mind. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He loved us that much to give His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's simple, isn't it? It's a, it's a great, it's a great statement and, and that God could put it all in, in just that short verse. And I think, man... Why can't we just put that on billboards all across the country? And, and shouldn't people just see that and say, wow, if that's true, then I want that. I don't want to perish. And what an amazing thing that God would love me, that He would love me enough to send His Son. But the truth is, even if we put it on every billboard all across the country, people still would not choose to follow Christ. It still has to be preached. And God is chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It still has to be preached. Why? Because in the free will that God has given us, we're stubborn. And a lot of times we don't want to give up our own way. We don't want to give up what we're doing. We don't want to change. We might even know the path that we're on is wrong, but we're still stubbornly attached to it. And so it must be preached. And we, look, we say that and we say, well, that's maybe people that don't know Christ. Oh, no, no, no. It's Christians too. It's Christians too. Because... I look at this verse right here, just this one verse, and I think, do, do we have to go further tonight? If, if Christ would give us forgiveness, if He would redeem us, if God would send His Son to redeem us, there should be no, no stubbornness about it. Yes, He should be first in my life. Yes, He should have the priority in my life. That nothing should stand between me and God. That if God says it, then I'm going to do it regardless of how I feel about it because, because He's preeminent. Because look what He did for me. But the truth is, it's got to be preached. Because there's areas in our life and things that we harbor, areas that we say, well, I don't know about that area. So Paul says, because of His, his purpose, and then notice verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God because of His person because of who He is. Christ ought to have the priority in our lives because of His person. He is the image of the invisible God. Notice verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness, all the fullness of God dwell. Chapter 2, you might just be able to look across the page. Verse 9. For in Him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything that God was, was in Christ. Now this is something that is very difficult for our brains to wrap around, that God, being all God, came in human flesh and was still all man. That's hard for us to comprehend, but yet we know that it was true. He proved it by His miracles. And besides the miracles, He proved it by the resurrection. 
that proved it all right there. That he could die and rise again the third day exactly like he said he would. But that's who he is. He is God. And I, and I think the disciples who said in, in 1 John, who, who our hands have handled, we touched the Lord. We spent time with him. And yet they didn't even realize exactly who he was. I believe that for the longest time, even though they thought he might be the anointed one because they were calling him Christ, and that's what Christ means, the anointed one, and they called him that, I don't think they grasped that he was God. And I don't know how long or at what point they started to realize what was going on, but that is who he was. At one point, Philip, this is when Jesus was in the upper room and he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Philip said, <coughs> show us the Father. And Jesus answered and said, have I been with you so long and you have not seen the Father? He's saying, look, when, when I healed lepers, you saw the Father's power. You saw the Father. When I fed the 5,000, you saw the Father. When, when I slept in a desert with you, you saw the Father. When I, when I had compassion and I wept on the multitudes because they were scattered abroad, you saw the Father. If you want to see who God is, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see who God is because you're seeing Jesus Christ. When He said, Allow the little children to come unto Me for such is the kingdom of heaven, you saw God. And sometimes that's hard for our minds because we have this idea of what God should be in our minds. And we need to compare that to the Word of God and change it according to the Word of God because this tells us who Jesus was. In Hebrews it says, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Now God is a spirit. Jesus said that in John 5.24. But yet Christ is the embodiment of God. And everything that Christ was in character and in person, that is God. He ought to have priority, shouldn't he? God ought to be worshipped. People make up gods to worship. Now, worship is a is like a compound word that that means worship, and so it, it is what you worship is something to which you are ascribing value. You are saying this is valuable to me. And uh, several years ago, we were in New York City. My wife's family is is from there. Uh, her father-in-law or her father, my father-in-law, her father started a church. Yeah, it's kind of hard sometimes uh, in Brooklyn. And so I've been up there several times, but one time many years ago, we were, I think it was the Empire State Building, and we wanted to go up, and we wanted to see from the overlook and see the city and everything. And we get there, and you get to the doorway, and I this was many years ago. I don't know what it would cost today, but we found out if you're going to take the elevator, it was $40 a person. Today, it's probably 100 bucks a person. I don't know. But that's... At that point, I said, "Well, that's not worth it. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not taking an elevator to go, you know, up 110 or whatever flights it is up there. It's not worth it." I made an evaluation in my life and said, "It's not worth my money to take this elevator to go up there." Is God worth your money? Yeah. How much? All of it. I mean, I mean, let's go backwards. Redemption. Forgiveness? That can't be bought. It could, well, it was bought by the blood of Christ. How much is that worth? It's worth he's worth our money. 
does our bank account show that we believe what we say? Does our lifestyle show that we believe what we say? Or can you in your mind look and say, you know what, there are things that I say that are valuable to me, and then there are things that I show that are valuable to me because of where my money goes. We need to evaluate personally, am I showing God that He that I'm worshiping Him with, with my finances? Secondly, we looked at that and we thought, well, the freeway to the top is the stairway. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, 110 flights. I, I was young, I was confident, but I wasn't that confident. I wasn't that confident to say after 70, think about 70 flights of stairs. I don't care who you are. You're going to be a little tired, uh, a little bit at least. And you still have probably 30, 40, maybe 50 flights to go to get to the top. And then you have to come down. And I'm pretty sure that even if you went all the way to the top, it's not a free ride on the elevator down. You're probably going to pay full price. They're probably say, we got you, right? Uh, so I made a determination that it was also not worth my energy to, to climb those stairs all the way to the top. And uh, the obvious, is God worth your energy? Is He worth the energy that you put in? I, I believe that many of you tonight, all of you tonight, showed, hey, He's worth my energy to come on a Wednesday night. But it's not just, it's not just sitting in a pew. It's not just coming to revival services. There are, there's the work of God that needs to be done. We talked about this Sunday morning, going into all the world and to preach the gospel and to be witnesses unto me. Is He worth your energy? Sometimes it's nervous energy when we're witnessing to others. But is He worth it? Does your life show that? And the third thing, the third evaluation I made is even if, even if I had the energy to climb all of those stairs, I had to ask myself the question, is this worth my time that it's going to take me to get up there? I don't know how long it would have taken me if I wanted to walk, run, jump, whatever it would be to take all those stairs to the top. How long is this going to take me with all the things that I have planned today? I said, it's not worth my time. Is God worth your time? Again, you're here on a Wednesday. I believe you said that. Now, I'm going to assume that you're in this category. I hope you are, but it's up to you to evaluate this. But when I was a youth pastor in Indiana, we didn't have bulletins. Do you have bulletins? Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Why, why do we need bulletins? This is the year 2022. Okay. We're way beyond bulletins. Well, we were way beyond bulletins in the year 2007. Okay. And, uh, well, but what we did have was we had a, a full calendar for every month, a full, just one page. And everything that was on the church calendar was on that one month. Uh, and so you could come grab that thing at the beginning of the month out on the front table, and, and then you had that. Now, it was pretty obvious that there were some people that when they grabbed that, to them, that wasn't the church calendar. That was their calendar. That whatever was on that piece of paper, that, that takes priority over everything. That was their calendar. And there were other people that would take that calendar and say almost immediately, well, I can't come to that, and I can't come to that, and I can't come to that because I got this, 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 and this. And I look at that and say, who has priority here? Is it the Lord or is it me and my preferences? And the thing, well, and some guys would say, well, I have a commitment. And I say, well, what's bigger, your commitment to this or your commitment to Christ? Because his commitment for us was pretty heavy. Was pretty heavy. That he would give his 
life blood for us. At 33, he could have said, look, there's many more things I can do. I, I, can, I can at least get to 40 before I sacrifice. But he said, no, this is, this is the time frame that God has for me, and I'm going to follow what God wants for me to do. And we need to take that same evaluation and say, God is worth all the time that he gives me because I don't have it unless he gives it to me. And so this calendar, the church calendar, this is the place that God has for this local community to do His work through it. Well, then I'm going to place my priority on the church calendar. Is Christ your priority? How does your life show that? And then he goes on, he says in verse 16, for by Him were all things created. We don't think about that, right? We don't think about Christ being the Creator. We think that God, and yes, God the Father was there, but Jesus Christ was the Creator. It says, by Him were all things created, and at the, begin, at the end of the verse, he says, all things were created by Him. Doubles down on it. In fact, John 1, 1, we know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And so we use those two verses to say that Christ was preexistent, that He's always been, that He was here before the earth. But the next verse says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's interesting how God uses the terminology to, to really narrow it down to he created everything. You can't get out of that. That Christ is the creator. That's power. That's great power. And that's what Paul's saying, is that he should be in the forefront of our lives. He should be our everything because of His power. Because of what He does and what He can do. That all things are under Him, especially now that He has risen from the dead. Even, even now He has the keys of death and hell. He owns them. He owns that property. Because He conquered the grave and He conquered hell. But that's His power. In one of our trips, we stopped at a place in West Virginia called Fenton Glass. Anybody know what Fenton Ware is or Fenton Glass? It's it. Oh, we have one man. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's like, oh, well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's the way I was. Like my wife knew all about it. It's it's a uh, fancy glassware. I, I mean, I don't even know if I can say it right. I, I really don't know. But so we decided we'd take a tour of this place, and uh, I thought, you know, my wife's gonna enjoy it, but it's not really gonna be my thing. I was wrong. Because they were making the stuff in the back. I mean, you know, you've got, it was hot back there, and you've got these furnaces, and inside you see molten glass. I mean, it's red hot, and men sticking these long poles in there and, and twisting them like giant, uh, you know, honey, what do they call those? A honey dipper? Is that what they call that? I don't know. And, and so sticking that in there and twisting it, and, and then maybe one guy would blow in the end of this pole and, and create some kind of a vase out of it, and somebody else would, would grab some of it with his tools, and he would be designing some small, intricate piece, and then you could see as the, as the air would hit those things, and they'd cool down the colors, and it would start to take shape, and, and it was really amazing to see the artistry, and to see something that was hot liquid just a few minutes ago is now brittle, fancy glass. But towards the end of that, there were like a desk or a conveyor belt or something where, where all those pieces would come and there were one or two people and it was their job to inspect. And they would look and see if the colors are right, if there's any bubbles where they shouldn't be and if everything's the way it should be. If, and, if, and if that person saw anything that they didn't like, they could take it and throw it in a bin 
which it would probably break. And they said, we take this and we remelt it and start all over again. So then, as every good tour is, you find this door at the end of the tour, right? You open the door and where are you? You're in a gift shop, right? <laughs> that's, that's where they're going to... And, you, and the exit is on the other end of the gift shop. So we walked in there and... You know, they're not protecting their stuff, right? They're putting it right on the edge of glass shelves so that you can bump it with your elbow and, and it falls on the ground, right? Now, my goal was to find the most expensive piece. And, and the most expensive piece I could find was $1,400 piece. I don't even remember what it was. It was a vase. It just all kinds of things on it and obviously very fragile. If I had knocked that piece off onto the floor and it broke, do you think I'd have gotten out there scot-free? I don't think so. And I wasn't taking that chance. Even though just a few feet before, somebody could have looked at it and for any reason at all, thrown it into a bin for nothing. How can they do that? Because they created it. They have the right to do with it whatever they want to with it. In Corinthians, we're told, we are bought with a price. and We are not our own. Therefore, glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are not ours, because they are God's. He redeemed us. He bought us. He created us. Not only is He our creator, but He is our ruler. He is our authority. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. That word power is authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He is our ruler. Do you ever have a little yappy dog? Right? Good. Good for you. Wait a minute. Yeah, you do. <laughs> we had yappy dogs. One was good. One was bad. Okay. I got along with the bad one. It was a, I would say it was a mutual respect, except I, there was no respect on my end. <laughs> uh, this dog annoyed me, but I was like, look, you, you stay away from me. I stay away from you and everybody's going to be good. Until one day that dog decided that my basketball shoes were a fire hydrant. <laughs> and, and that was the end of the line, all right? That was the end of the line. And I thought, you know what? Like, what are you going to do to me, right? You couldn't even get your mouth around my ankle if you tried to bite me. And if you tried to bite me, I could punt you. And I could punt you. It'd be, you punt me, dog. Go ahead. I'll give you three tries, okay? <laughs> and as long as I get one, that's all I need. I don't have to feed you. I don't have to help you. I don't have to do anything. And this is what you go and do. I, I I never did anything like that to him. So here, so here this yappy dog. Don't take that too far. <laughs> so this little yappy dog, you know, and you think about that. What, what authority do they have over me? None. But what authority did I have over that dog? A lot. A lot. Now, it was technically my parents' dog. But at the end of the day, if that dog disappeared... You know, I can say we had a tragic accident. You really don't want to know, Mom. You really don't want to know. And I would have some authority to do that. Now, that's a terrible comparison. But I think sometimes we're like yappy dogs to God. That we say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do with my life. And you can't tell me. I'm going to live this way. This is my goal. This is my dream. This is my, this is my objective. And this is how I'm going to live. This is what I want in my life. And I don't care what you want. That's what I, and, and all it is is... Rah, 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 rah. And God's patiently looking at us saying, really? Really? I created you. I am your ruler. 
You see, this is what God does for us in that he gives us a choice to live in reality or live in some made-up reality of our own minds that I rule in my kingdom. And that was part of the problem with Nebuchadnezzar when he was so proud. And God said, no, 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 look. I rule in the kingdom of men. I set up over over it whoever I will. I give it to whoever I will. And Nebuchadnezzar, you only have this power because I put you there. And then one year later, Nebuchadnezzar said, "I have have not I created this for the by my power, by the might of my power, and for the glory of my majesty?" And immediately, he was like an animal. And God said, "No, no, I I did that. I helped you to do that. I put you there." God said, what I want you to know is that I rule in your life. And God is telling us, look, I want you to remember and know that I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you need to live in such a way that shows that I am the ruler and that whatever I say goes, but I give you that choice to obey. And then lastly, verse 18, and He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. God put him as the head of the body. He put him as the head of the church, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He is saying, whether you like it or not, whether you live that way or not, Christ is preeminent. At the end of our lives and at the end of this world, Christ will sit on the throne and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what he's saying by this passage is don't forget who he is and that he is preeminent and that we should choose to live in the light of the reality that He is preeminent in our lives. That everything that we have as believers is because of Him. That a changed life is because of Him. That our redemption is because of Him. That forgiveness is because of Him. That the church is because of Him. All things are because of Him. And we need to live in the light to say, God, You you, you have my calendar. And if You have something on this day that I plan to do something else, well, that's what it's going to be. Growing up, I was, I was highly into sports. And, and I love sports, and, and, I, and I felt like I had some measure of success in those things. But my parents from day one said, if your practice or your game is on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday, you're going to be in church, not the game or not the practice. And that, at first, I didn't like that. And, and I got used to it. I got used to it, but I'll tell you today, I'm so thankful for that. I don't think I'd be here today if it were the other way around. Because they showed me that God is the priority. When you place church as a priority, you're placing God as a priority. Because we do this for Him. I remember going to youth events. and I still had my baseball stirrups on. And I'd have to take my cleats off and put put my church shoes on or whatever. Because uh, cleats don't go well in the church building. But I learned a lesson that God needs to be first in our lives. Some people don't like that. But that's the reality we need to live in. I'm very competitive. In fact, I would say that I'm more competitive than anyone in here. I have to say that if I'm competitive, right? <laughs> it, 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 that's what I'm saying. Is it is? But I've learned that there are times. At, I probably probably 30 before I learned this to shut it off and just say, you know what? Don't compete. Don't even think about it. 
because it was bad. Uh, at one time at a college, I was also the the uh, PE teacher for, for an academy that was at the college. And so I, I got to drive the van to a, a, an event for kids. And it was like, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. And so on the way there, the principal of the academy had this scavenger hunt that while we were driving, uh, they could look for certain items and mark them down. I made sure that I had a sheet. And then at the end of the day, I made sure that I was checking those things off. You know, okay, I didn't see that. I saw that. Well, this one kid said that he saw a purple car. And I'm telling you, there was not a purple car that day because if there had been, I would have seen it. And I know that that kid, he was sitting like right behind me. He was talking to the kids beside him the whole time. He wasn't looking at anything. I mean, that's probably the only thing he had on there. And it probably didn't matter anyway because I probably, I probably had more points on the, on the list than he did anyway. And you're like, well, it's just kindergartners and first graders, right? Yeah. Well, do you want to lose to kindergarten and first graders? I don't. <laughs> I mean, that's embarrassing. But in competition, I don't want to win by a little. I mean, that's great, right? Winning is great. But I want to win, and I want to win by a long shot. And I like rooting. I like the team that I root for to win by a long shot. I don't like close games unless it's two teams that I don't really care about. And yeah, let them, let them have a close game. But my player... I want them to have a great day. It's, it's amazing. I, I, almost every morning I read sports scores from whatever sport's going on, and I read about you know how many yards does this guy have, how many points did this guy have. And there are certain players that I'm like, you know, he scores 43 points, and I'm like, man, I wish he'd had 50. And that's just the way I am. I mean, 43 points is a lot of points. Um, but that's just the way I, I view it. And I remember back watching, remember watching Usain Bolt running those Olympics? I mean, I mean, you talk about a dominant athlete. I just wish he'd have ran for the U.S. Right? That's the only thing. But I turned in, tuned into that Olympics, and I don't think I cared about any other event besides the 200-meter, the 100-meter, and the 400-meter relay that he was in because I wanted to see this guy because it was obvious he's going to win, and what's he going to do? And I remember when he ran that 100-meter and set the world record, I had seen the previous record set, and I believe it was Michael Johnson. And when they, when they, when he set that record, they said this record will never be beat. And then here comes Usain Bolt and makes that record look like nothing. And 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 if you remember, in my mind, the last three or four strides, it looked like he was on cruise control. And I was like, oh, if you'd have pushed a little harder, if you'd have tried a little bit more, what what could have been? You know, he won by so much that it's one of those things that I say, don't give second place to that guy, that next guy. Give him third and give Usain Bolt gold and silver, right? Because you don't deserve to get second when you're that far behind. That's just my mind. Now, I say that to say this. We should be competitive about where the Lord is in our lives. This should not be a battle for us that, well... I guess, I guess I'll give him the priority. No, no, no. He put us before himself in that he sacrificed himself. And we should put him far beyond ourselves, far beyond our priorities. And I promise you, he tells us that when we do that, we'll have real joy. When we put him and others first, that we will have real joy in our lives. And there ought not to be a second place. Christ first, everything else far behind when that's the case everything in our lives is going to be where it should be 
because he's in the place that he should be in. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, is there a person? Is there a dream? A career? A hobby? Is there something that is before Christ in your life? Would you put him first? I think about that first point and that Christ came to redeem us. And he died on a cross for us. He rose again three days later so that we could have forgiveness by our faith in him, by trusting in him. Has there been a time in your life where you came to God and said, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Would you save me? If there has been a time in your life where that is the case, would you tell me by the upraised hand, I know that I've come to God and asked him to forgive me my sins and save me. I know that I'm saved today. If that's you, would you raise your hand all across the auditorium? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Maybe you'd say, you know what, preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that my sins are forgiven, but I'd like to. I'd like to be saved. If that's you, could you raise your hand and say, Preacher, uh, that's me. I'd like to be saved. I'm not going to embarrass you. But you'd say, Preacher, I'd like to be saved. Would you please pray for me? Anywhere in the auditorium, just by your raised hand. Okay, Christian, how about you? Is there some business that you need to do with God tonight? Is He your priority? Is He your everything? Is God your calendar? Does God have your your pocketbook, your wallet? Does God have your energy? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand to your feet?